morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Monday, March the 7th, and here are some of the stories we are covering for you this morning. The UN Refugee Agency appeals for $205 million to help more than 1.5 million internally displaced people in northern Ethiopia. Loss of shelter and access to basic services and critical levels of food and security. Several camps and settlements hosting Eritrean refugees have been attacked or destroyed, further displacing tens of thousands within Ethiopia. That is UNHCR spokeswoman Shabia Manto. The Media Institute for Southern Africa calls on Zimbabwe to ensure peace ahead of the March 26th elections. And hundreds of Ghanaian students return home this week after fleeing war in Ukraine. Me and some of my friends, the blacks, that go back, you go back. That's the only English they can speak. You go back. That is Ghanaian student Samuel Zemeki describing his ordeal at one of the border posts as he was trying to leave the country. Trafficking in pangolins continues to rise in Malawi as the country registers a drop in the trafficking of elephant tusks and rhino horns. We'll have those stories plus sports coming up right here on The Break Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, the UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, is appealing for $205 million for assistance to more than 1.6 million people displaced by conflict in northern Ethiopia. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The conflict, which began 16 months ago in northern Ethiopia's Tigray region, has spread to the neighboring Amhara and Afar regions. This has resulted in a humanitarian crisis for more than 2 million people forced to flee their homes. The UN Refugee Agency says most of the victims are displaced inside Ethiopia, while nearly 60,000 have fled to neighboring Sudan. UNHCR spokeswoman Shabia Mantu says all are in desperate need of support. Civilians, including refugees and internally displaced people, have been displaced amid widespread reports of gender-based violence, human rights abuses, loss of shelter and access to basic services, and critical levels of food insecurity. Several camps and settlements hosting Eritrean refugees have been attacked or destroyed, further displacing tens of thousands within Ethiopia. Ethiopia launched its military offensive in Tigray on November 4, 2020, to oust the Tigray People's Liberation Front from its northern stronghold. The UN says 40% of Tigray's population of 6 million suffers from acute hunger, with 400,000 on the verge of famine. Eritrea, which supports the government, reportedly has attacked several camps in Tigray, housing tens of thousands of Eritrean refugees. Mantu says funds from the appeal will help provide protection and humanitarian assistance to those affected by continuing violence inside Ethiopia. At least 60,000 internally displaced households will be assisted with shelter and emergency relief items. We will establish additional protection desks adding to the more than 60 that have already been set up to identify people with specific needs and to refer survivors of gender-based violence to services. And we will support the reintegration of 75,000 displaced families who wish to return to their homes. 
Montreux says UNHCR will provide protection and assistance to the thousands of Ethiopian refugees who have fled to eastern Sudan. Critical aid, she says, includes construction of shelters and strengthening health care and education. She says the agency will scale up psychosocial and mental health support to the severely traumatized. She adds $16 million is being set aside for any potential influx of Ethiopian refugees into neighboring Djibouti, Kenya, Somalia, and South Sudan. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Trafficking in pangolins continues to rise in Malawi as the country registers a drop in ordinary wildlife crime, such as trafficking in elephant tusks and rhino horns. Wildlife authorities say pangolin-related arrests in the country more than tripled between 2019 and 2020. Police say a month rarely passes without a pangolin-related arrest. Authorities fear this may lead to the extinction of the endangered mammals. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. The latest is the arrest this week of five people in Mangoji district in the south of Malawi after they were found selling a live pangolin. Amina Tepani Daud speaks for the police in the district. The four suspects are Malawians, while their accomplice is a well-known businessman from Pakistan. The five were arrested at Pakistan National's house following a tip from members of the community that they had the pangolin and were looking for buyers. We found all of them in the bedroom while negotiating about selling price, and the pangolin was found hidden in a sack bag. Daud said via a messaging app, that the suspects are expected in court soon. All suspects have been charged with illegal possession of specimen of listed species, which contravenes Section 110B of National Parks and Wildlife Act, and they will appear before court possibly next week. Police say the incident is among many pangolini trafficking arrests in the recent years. Last year's report by Lilongwe Wildlife Trust says Malawi is the range state of the Temix ground pangolin, the only pangolin species found in southern Africa, now threatened with extinction. Brighton Kunchedwa is director of Malawi's Department of National Parks and Wildlife. He says the increase in pangolin trafficking is not surprising, considering recent research estimating that global pangolin populations have declined by 80% in the last 20 years. For Malawi, we uh, can speculate that is shifting from ivory trafficking to pangolin because one, the size of pangolin is so small, easy to conceal, but also it is fetching reasonable amount of money on the black market. But also the existence in the country of foreign nationals that eat pangolins as delicacy, but also use of scales in medicine. That's why there's an increase in pangolin trafficking. Kunchedwa says this week's arrest of a Pakistan national in connection with pangolin trafficking confirms that the presence of some foreign nationals, particularly from Asia, is fueling trafficking in pangolin. Kunchedwa says strategies are in place to prevent the possible extinction of the endangered mammals in Malawi, and these include stiffer penalties to perpetrators. According to the revised anti-wildlife trafficking law in Malawi, perpetrators caught in possession of live pangolins or any other derivatives face a prison sentence of up to 30 years with no option for a fine. But also we have 
our own investigations unit, which is helping quite a lot in close, is largely intelligence law enforcement. But also more than that is the, how the court have indeed applied the law. They are giving custodial sentences. Uh, we have seen people taken to jail for seven years, five years, found in possession of a pangolin. Kunchedwa asked the Malawians to be more patriotic and help the government by reporting to the authorities about people involved in illegal pangolini trade as well as in other protected animals. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. Media Institute for Thousand Africa is calling on the Zimbabwe government to ensure peace ahead of the March 26th elections following opposition rallies that have been marred by violence, claiming two lives and leaving dozens injured. As Columbus Mavunga reports from Zimbabwe's capital Harare, Journalists also have lost valuable equipment during the chaos. Tabani Mori, director of the Media Institute of Southern Africa, said in an interview that his organization is deeply worried by violence at Zimbabwe's opposition campaign rallies. We therefore urge the police to enforce the law and ensure that perpetrators of violations against journalists are brought to book. Secondly, we call upon politicians to desist from inciting their supporters or are making inflammatory statements that uh, risk put journalists uh, on the line of fire. This exposes the journalists to possible harm from their supporters. By the same call, uh, we call upon journalists to desist from uh, taking part in political processes if they are still to continue practicing their craft. Zimbabwe is to hold by-elections March 26 to fill parliamentary and local authority seats that have become vacant since the country's 2018 general elections. Tandwe Garusa is a freelance journalist who lost her phone and other equipment she was using to stream the opposition citizens' coalition for change rally about 300 kilometers south of Zimbabwe's capital, Harare, last week. It's also the phone that I was using for pictures and stories. Uh, now that has affected my work because I can't do that anymore and I no longer have a phone that has a good picture quality. Uh, the phone that I'm using right now is a 2016 model. It's uh, it, it can't even uh, install some of the applications that I need to use, like Photoshop. I can't even use Word. It doesn't have a good battery, and replacing the phone is now a challenge because I don't have the money. Police arrested 16 suspected ruling ZANU-PF supporters who are accused of causing the violence and who are now facing murder charges in connection with the deaths at the rally. Dabaningi Nick Mangwana is the Zimbabwe Information Ministry Permanent Secretary. Investigations are already in place. Uh, there is already a wanted man. Um, there are people in custody. What happens in situations where a crime has been committed? There is a commitment from law enforcement agents to enforce the law. And that's exactly what's happening. Zimbabwe's pre-election season has been marred by violence that has claimed lives and left thousands injured since 2000 after a strong opposition party emerged. Columbus Mavungam for VOA News, Arare, Zimbabwe. Debrek Africa continues. Among African students evacuated from Ukraine when Russia attacked were hundreds of Ghanaians 
some of them arriving back home this week. But just an hour from the border with Russia, a number of Ghanaian and other African students are sheltering underground while waiting for a safe escape. Sananu Toad reports from Accra, Ghana. Ghanaian students from Ukraine arrive at the Kutuka International Airport in Accra to meet their families. The students fled Ukraine at the start of the war to avoid being killed or injured. Ebenezer Kwachi Ajimai, parent of a returned student, says they are happy to welcome them back. Uh, extremely, extremely happy. Extremely happy. We are grateful to God for bringing them. We, are, we thank the government for bringing them. And as a parent, and I'm very sure any other parent who came to meet uh, his or her ward uh, shared the same sentiment with me. We are very happy that they are here with us. Please sit. But the journey out of Ukraine, the students say, was traumatic. In the city of Tunisi, the leadership of the National Union of Ghana Students, NUCS, mobilized 24 Ghanaians and 13 other African nationals on a bus and headed to the Romanian border. Samuel Jemeke, a fourth-year medical student and NUCS vice president, says the sound of bombs and visible smoke from neighboring cities was the trigger for them to flee. We had a bombing, which is a city which is two hours away from my city, Ivano Frankis. So we just made that decision that we're going to leave whatever it takes. So we did a necessary clearing from the school, and then we went to organize a bus. And we were ready to pay any amount the bus was going to charge us. So we just got on board, and then we gathered the people, and then we set off. At the Ukrainian border, they say there was heavy vehicular and human traffic. They had to abandon their bus and walk through the cold and dark for several hours. Jamaica says it took his team about 15 hours to cross the Ukrainian border amid competition with the locals, children and mothers for space to exit. They were very harsh day, very harsh. I actually thought some of them were racist because they, they point at me and some of my friends, the blacks, that go back, you go back. That's the only English they can speak. You go back meaning don't come near the gates, else it's going to push you. And my, some of my friends were actually, I wouldn't say molested, but they will, they, like, they will pull you like this. Like maybe you, you've read the gates, the tip of the gate, he's standing there. He can't push you to go back because you are going to hurt someone. So he'll pull you and push you in. Like. At the Romanian border, they were welcomed by Ghanaian communities where the government of Ghana facilitated their travel back to Ghana. According to the government, there are about 1,200 Ghanaians in Ukraine, 78% of them students. On March 1st, the government had confirmed that about half of Ghanaians in Ukraine had fled to neighboring countries. Some students are still stuck in northeastern Ukraine, in the city of Sumy, which was attacked before they could flee. Sandwiched between Russian borders and war-torn cities, the students in Sumy have no route to access a safe border. In a WhatsApp chat with the public relations officer of the National Union of Ghana Students in Sumi, Benjamin Boateng said, Right now, there is no power and no water here. We are fighting for our lives. He pleaded for the government to intervene and said they needed evacuation measures to get them to any country. Russia, Hungary, anywhere, he said. In a meeting with parents, government has assured families of people stuck in Ukraine that they will employ every diplomatic means to bring everyone to safety. Sana Nutod for VOA News, Accra, Ghana.
The government of Mali declared three days of mourning after the deadliest attack on Malian soldiers in months. Annie Risenberg reports from Bamako. Mali's transitional president, Esimi Guaita, has declared three days of national mourning starting Saturday after 27 Malian soldiers were killed and 23 wounded during an attack on a central Mali military camp in the town of Mondoro Friday in Mali's Mopti region. Seven soldiers are still missing, according to a press release published by Mali's military government Friday. The release also says that 47 terrorists were neutralized the morning of the attack and 23 later in the afternoon. The attack comes after the military government, which seized power in a 2020 coup, asked the French military in February to leave Malian territory immediately, following an announcement from French President Emmanuel Macron that French troops would withdraw from Mali over a period of four to six months. The announcement of the withdrawal came after months of increasing tensions between the French and Malian governments. The French military has been present in Mali since it intervened in 2013 in an operation to take back control of northern Mali from Islamists. But since then, both Malian and French forces have struggled to contain an insurgency that has moved from northern Mali into the center of the country. Annie Reisenberg for VOA News, Bamako, Mali. Somalia is in the middle of its worst drought in decades, with millions of people in need of aid and thousands on the brink of starvation. The United Nations estimates 4.3 million Somalis are affected by the drought and more than half a million displaced. Mohamed Dasayan traveled to the drought-hit area of Baidoa, Somalia, and has this report. Baidoa already hosts over 400,000 internally displaced Somalis, but more people affected by the drought are flocking to the town every day in search of food, water, and shelter. Somalia's southwest state is one of the areas worst hit by a record drought not seen in decades. 47 years old, Ali Adhan Hassan's livestock died in the drought, and in late February, his family of seven ran out of food. A blockade by Al-Shabaab insurgents made it impossible for aid to reach his district in Bokol region. So Hassan set out on food to Baidoa, a journey that took two weeks. He says his family didn't have a car or money to pay for a donkey cart, so they trekked over 200 kilometers for 15 days to reach Baidoa. Hassan says his wife and three-year-old child died from hunger and thirst, so he had to bury them along the way. Baidoa is battling water shortages and an influx of villagers like Hassan fleeing drought and starvation. Forty-years-old single mother Fadimo Mohammed lives in one of Baidoa's internally displaced persons camps with her six children. Her husband died seven years ago. She tells VOA they arrived in late February after walking two weeks from Bukura village. They had a mother camel for milk, says Mohammed, but it died and the only baby camel remains. She feeds the baby camel the same tea she gives her children, says Mohammed. I must balance it between the children and the camel, she says to make sure we share the little we have. The camel is my life, says Mohammed. It must survive. Adam Farah is an advisor for UK-based aid group Save the Children. He tells VOA millions of Somalis are in dire need. Uh, as well, Save the Children has uh, also conducted you know, rapid need assessment uh, and that was indicated 3.9 million people across Somalia are not able to access food in which 1.8 million people are facing severe food insecurity. The ongoing drought has plunged the majority of the population into food insecurity, 
the drought has also impacted you know the 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 education cluster and and according to the cluster about 1.4 million school age children uh, are evicted of whom 420,000 uh, which 45% of our girls are reportedly at risk of dropping out of school. Dawood Adhan Jiran is the Somalia director for the U.S.-based aid group Masikap. He recently visited Baidoa and met with displaced families. Um, the country, uh, like many other uh, countries in the region, has faced a severe drought. Um, there have been three failed uh, rains uh, over the last three seasons. And as a result, uh, a lot of livestock um, was lost. Um, many people have been displaced from their homes into IDP camps in urban centers. The UN says the 2010-2012 famine, at the time that passed in nearly a decade, killed a quarter million Somalis, half of them children under the age of five. A community activist, Nadif Abdishakur Mohammed, tells VOA there is still time to prevent another famine. The situation in Somalia is getting more and more serious by the drought. The drought has affected a lot of people uh, in all the states. And if nothing is done right now to avert this crisis, it will be similar to the famine of 2011. And we are urging humanitarian agencies to provide for and do what they can. That will go a long way to helping avert a crisis. Somalia, in late November, declared a state of emergency over the drought and appealed for international assistance. Mohammed Dyson, VON News, Baidoa, Somalia. And now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports, and with that, we go to Abuja with Samson O'Malley. Good morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, Jackson. We begin the sport in Japan, where Kenya's world record holders, Elite Kipchoge and Bridget Kosge, won the Tokyo Marathon with dominant performances as they posted the fastest times ever run in Japan. Elite Kipchoge briefly took a wrong turn 10 kilometers into the 42.195 kilometers race, but quickly recovered to win in two hours, two minutes, 40 seconds. The fastest time ever run in marathon mad Japan. It was 61 seconds outside the world record Kipchoge had set in Berlin in 2018, but was the fourth quickest ever run. Kipchoge now owns three of the four fastest times in history. Uh, what made me the chum out of the, the club is to run strong, to run a good time, and, 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 and make my fans happy. That's uh, an inspire more people. In this world, to love running and love the and love unity. In the women's race, Kosge was looking to bounce back from her disappointment at failing to win the gold medal at the Olympics and fourth place finish at the London Marathon in October. Kosge had gone into the Olympic race as a big favorite, but had to settle for the silver medal behind teammate Perez Gipchichur. On Sunday, Kosge led from gun to tape to cross the line in two hours, sixteen minutes, zero two seconds, nearly two minutes ahead of Ethiopia. Ashate Bikere, who finished in 2 hours 17 minutes 02 seconds. Today I feel good and I was very excited uh, to be position one and uh, to break the record of here. As I, I was really, really happy. But uh, if not the wind which push on 32 kilometers, the wind push us back. If not the wind, uh, I could run uh, 215. 
staying with Marathon News, South Africa's Stephen Mokoka, who had never run a 50 kilometers race before, has broken the world record of the Nedbank running fight breaking barriers ultra marathon. The 37-year-old won the race in 2 hours, 14 minutes, 13 seconds, beating the time of 2 hours, 42 minutes, 7 seconds, said by Ethiopia's Katema Negasa in 2021. No, 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 it's training, so I had to do certain kind of training and then see how it works out because I'm playing for a world championship, so I needed to do more mileage and then to see if the body will develop. So I hope from here I don't get exhausted and I can be able to resume into training and then well. And answers on football news. Nigeria's under 17 girls, the Flamingos, ran riot round their host, DR Congo, to earn a 3 0 victory in the FIFA under 17 Women's World Cup second round first leg encounter in Kinshasa on Sunday. Both teams will clash again this Saturday at the Samuel Obomedia Stadium, with the Flamingos already with a leg into the third round where they have the under 17 girls of Egypt waiting. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson. Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. That's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vongani in Washington, wishing you a great weekend.